Uh, no, I've I've let go of, of FOMO. Like, <laughs> yeah, like cool stuff's happening all over where I don't live. So uh, that's true. I, I adjust to that. I can adjust to this. Yeah, no, I guess that's a, that's a that's a fair a fair point. Just it's crazy. Complain, complain, complain. That's that's what it is. Um, that's life. It is. It's totally it's totally life. The the long long road of complaints. At this moment, I was hoping my French was better, and I was going to say something in French, but it's not good enough to nail it today. So welcome to the Big Story Podcast. I'm Alex, and today we have Chris, Christopher Sabela with me. Um, and I'm really excited to have you, Chris. I've, uh, I guess I've been, what, Twitter stalking? Is that a technical, is that a term now, Twitter stalking? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I feel like if your profile is public, nobody's stalking you. Like, yeah, like, like, yeah. Or you're it's, asking to be stalked. <laughs> that would be so that would be nice. That would be a nice, honest thing to put in your profile. You know, like please stalk me. Please, yes. <laughs> at all, more at attention all, at all costs, right? <laughs> I know it's uh, it, it's so funny. Like I, I love how I like I love when people are like, oh, like we're all crazy and nutty. I'm like, man, if we drop cell phones in the hands of people 800 years ago, they'd be doing all the same stuff. Like it's just human nature. Like we're sure. Just, we're just needy, needy monsters. Yeah, yeah. It's totally nuts. So, Chris, thanks for taking the time today. Sure. Um, I know you are um, kickstarting, so that's like a, a an extra job to throw on top of a yeah forty your other stuff. So, um, I commiserate because I've done them, and uh, but I'm also excited uh, because I've read the stuff and it should be out there in people's hands. So, um, that's my theory. Yeah. 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 So, um, as we, as in the pre, in the preamble, um, you're, you're in, uh, Portland. So mm -hmm. that's pretty rad. Um, I'm a big fan. I like getting to visit friends and eat food when I go to Portland. Um, I live in a very mini version of Portland on the East coast called Asheville, North Carolina. And yeah, I've been there. Uh, yeah. And it's cool, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's sort of like, a percentage of whatever other cool places are. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and it's so we you, we were talking about the cost of things. It is so expensive here too. Like it's it's hard to get away from it nowadays. I think um, I think it's the remote working thing. I think it's going to catch everyone. I don't care if you live in Kansas, you're going to get caught by the the cost of things eventually. Sure. So, um, are you a native of Oregon? No, I uh, I grew up in Chicago and. Oh, cool. uh, that I, uh, I I lived in Kansas City, Missouri, um, <laughs> for about ten years, uh, and then I moved here right in uh, the beginning of 2010. Oh, okay, nice. And what brought, what specifically brought you out there? Uh, honestly, like uh, I like I I was uh, I was working as a graphic designer um, yeah. freelance for about three or four years and then the economy was collapsing you know in like 2009 yeah um as and i was like well i'm not good enough at like the graphic design gigs i've gotten i was like pretty lucky to get i i've just you know like i'm okay at it i'm not i'm not uh you know i'm not like a competitive specialist like i can't beat right. out other graphics so i was like i gotta figure out something to do because this is not gonna 
last. So I took uh, the remains of my money. Uh, I took like half of it and uh, was like, I'm going to move to Portland where there are two comics publishers and I'm going to try and break into comics. Um, and if nothing else, I won't live in the Midwest anymore. Um, right. So, and then it worked out. So that's pretty cool. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a, I was, I was, I was, I put up, I put a thing on Twitter yesterday. Um, the lead singer from the darkness, Justin Hawkins has sort of his daily sort of thing that he does on YouTube. And it reminded me like what he was saying, was sort of reminded me of a conversation I had with, um, Mark Lamming about like that sort of like that bold step you have to take to chase the thing that you want to do. And yeah. because it's like, if you live sort of behind the hedge on the effort to try to get the thing that you think that you really, really want to do, I don't think you ever really truly get there. Um, you know, it's like burning the bridge, burning the boats on the beach, you know, you like mm. got to go forward. Um, it was definitely like that for me. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a reckless thing. So, like, I mean, what was the like, like, what was your internal like dialogue or you know discussion and external? I mean, you probably were talking with people. Like, what was the thing that kind of stopped you from going? This is ridiculous. You know, I can just you know go get another job or something. Right. Um. I. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just uh, like writing is something. It's like, I don't know, one of the few things that I felt like I am, like, qualified to do that, like, yeah. I'm just, like, that I felt like I was always good at writing. It was a thing I never had to try very hard at um, and a thing I loved doing, um, you know, and I was just like, well, like, but, you know, I, I, I largely wrote prose, so I was, like, writing mm -hmm. novels, but I would never send my stuff out to anybody. Um, okay. And, yeah, I, I just kind of. I don't know. I just had a moment where it's like, if I don't go for this now, like, especially with, you know, uh, the economy's collapsing, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, right. who knows what the, like, if I don't try this now, I'm going to, you know, be forever wondering if how I could have. How old were you when you, when this, when you made this move? Uh, I was like, uh, I think, um, like 30. Okay. All right. So, so I figured I was still like young enough to make stupid mistakes and like I could, I could recover if, if it no. was a total screw up. Um, but yeah, it was like, I don't know. Uh, I'd lived in the Midwest all my life too. And I was just tired of that. Um, so it all just kind of coalesced and I was like, well, screw it. Like I will go and attempt this. And then if it doesn't work, then, then yeah, I will, uh, you know, get some job that I don't like and, you know, carry on uh but you know i had to try yeah it's it, you know it's an interesting thing because like you know for me my my first career was being a comic book artist so i was drawing the comics and but i was always kind of like coming up with the stories and i i would i would make you know proposals and submissions and whatever you know to editor saying hey i got an idea for the story but i didn't i didn't really consider myself a writer because i honestly dialogue terrified me like i just mm -hmm. had a real hard time with the idea of making characters talk um and then like when i got into design it was an interesting interesting thing because the process wasn't sitting in a sketchbook and sketching out an idea like you would like a with a draw with an illustration you know you here's my thumbnail idea i would sit and i would write my thoughts about the the design project 
know, it was this, this sort of searching internally because I, I was teaching at a design school in the late um, 90s and I would watch all the copywriters and they would just sit at a computer and they would just be line after line after line after line of them writing taglines and headlines. And they were just because they were they were iterating. They were just mm. iterating and, and, and evolving the ideas. And. I guess that kind of rubbed off and I would start like, so I would, my sketchbook stopped being, a, you know, note you know, drawings, but became notes and became, then became paragraphs of ideas, fleshing out how I could think. And then I would do a kind of a very rudimentary sketch to kind of like say, yeah, that kind of fits the bill of what I'm thinking about. Right. Um, did you have that kind of like when, cause you were like as a designer, and you said writing always kind of came natural. Like, were you like into like writing the proposals and, and stuff to clients? Uh, no, um, like uh, it, 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 uh, designing as a job was a thing that was a complete accident. Um, oh, okay. Like, yeah, um, it's, it's not something, you know, I never, uh, went to school for it. Um, you know, I just like, I sort of just sort of dicked around on my own and then, uh, I wound up getting fired from my day job and then a buddy of mine, who worked at a different division at the same company uh, offered me this like design gig freelance. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll try it. Um, and uh, yeah. And then I, I, so I just started doing it, but you know, it was, it was never my passion or like anything, you know, it was just something like, like that I thought I was like, okay at, and I right. like doing it. Um, so it was just, sort of a, a way to keep the lights on and sure. while I while I figured out what I was actually supposed to be doing. Like I thought it was gonna last, you know, three months and then it was sure, like I'll get through this gig and I'll find another job or something like that. Yeah, but then it just kept going. Uh, yeah. and then I, I realized like, oh I I like this. Like I like yeah. what did you like to... what did you like about it? Because I I, I want to see if it, it it lines up. I mean <laughs> for me it was like I like setting my own schedule. Okay. I like uh, working under my own steam. Um, I like, you know, working from home. Like, I don't know. I just like the freedom of it all of like, you know, as long as I hit the deadlines when I was supposed to, mm -hmm. got the work done, like nobody bugged me. Um, right. So I could just do what I wanted. Uh, and that, ultimately that's what I liked most about being a designer was like the freedom that, and that was the first time I'd had that level of freedom. Yeah. So uh so yeah when that started dying i was like well i don't want to i don't want to let go of this like so i have to figure out some other way i can you know continue working for myself um and and yeah writing was just like well that's the one thing i know that i'm like legitimately good at so, so how, how did you wait how did you know that like that's that's i guess that's that's an interesting thing it's because it you know i i just I mean, listen i only have my own experience and it's the mm -hmm. it's it's not the same. Like the ideas are there, you know, sure. but like iterative ability to come up with ideas has always been there. But the idea of like putting it on paper was always a very strenuous kind of, you know, engagement. So like, what made you say like, Oh no, this is my natural, like this is the water that I swim in. It's just something I've always done. Like really? since I was a little kid, like I, I still have a vivid memory of like writing a, a short story called star cats when I was like, six i'll read um, that i'll read star cats <laughs> i don't think it was very good but uh <laughs> but i have a vivid memory of like laying on the floor of our apartment in chicago 
uh, with like the TV on. And I remember like, I have a vivid memory of like laying there and just writing by hand, like yeah, this story about Star. And it was just, you know, as kind of what, you know, I, I did stuff for like school newspapers. Okay. Um, I did, uh, I was like a freelance journalist a journalist is the, the loosest use of that term yeah. uh but i did freelance writing for several years and like it was always just like i just like doing it like yeah. it's the one thing that like really i never worried about it like it never i you know i never like sat back and was like do i secretly like i always just like i don't know it's the you know i'm a pretty uh I lean towards self-loathing by and large, but writing was what, never- a writer who leans towards self-loathing? Uh, right, shock. Um, but writing was the one thing that I never doubted myself on. It okay. just like, I always knew that like, I don't know, I just liked what I did. And yeah. you know, when other people, when I would bother to show other people, like, especially my fiction stuff, like they always seemed to like it. So for me, it was just a matter of like, busting it out of my, my own head and putting it into the world which is the right. hardest part for me yeah you, you mean the, the with the the sharing it part was a harder part or yeah 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 i mean i i get that because i mean it's like you know aside from like you know your mom you know like it, it's it's tough to like you know and honestly my mom was one of my harshest critics so it was you know it became harder to show her stuff as the years went on but um yeah it, it it's very tough i mean i think but I think the only way that someone becomes a professional is to get comfortable in being uncomfortable. Yeah. And the first step of being uncomfortable, aside from like doing the thing, is to share that thing. Because yeah. that's the first real big, like, oh, you know, it's like asking somebody out on a date, you know? For like, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's no fun. It's scary. Um, that's cool. So, like, what books, like, what, like, like, do you remember like what books blew you away? Like when you were a kid, like, did you have favorites or did you just, uh, I, I mean, I, I read everything. So yeah. I, I don't know that I, you know, like I, I, I read like most of like Stephen King's library, okay. like, uh, when I was still in grade school, okay. um, yeah. which I should not have been, but, okay. um, but I got, you know, I was just, yeah, I, I, was taught very early by my mom how to read and she was a voracious reader. And so we always had tons of books in the house. So I would just start, mm -hmm. once I got through mine, I just started going through her bookshelves. Um, I don't know about like, you know, I don't think I really hit like what I would call like favorites until I was, you know, like maybe in college or so when I, um, but even that, yeah. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of like, um yeah I, I don't i like i have favorites now but there were none like growing up that i was like this is what like you know this is what i aspire it was just like i loved the act of like i mean i loved reading but like you know i i just i just love storytelling basically and i knew that like i could do that um and it was just a matter of like learning how to do it well um which was just like you know just doing it a lot um right. not showing anybody and just like you know sort of in my my woodshed just like bashing okay. away so you were just you were just logging logging in the hours regardless of you know without without sort of feedback you were just building things up yeah yeah for sure um like now were comics part of your your youth or they would like oh yeah oh yeah uh yeah like um 
so I got into comics when I was in like the middle of grade school. Um, a, a there was a summer camp that I went to, and this the the weird kid in our group um, okay. showed up one day with like a backpack full of comics, oh. um, and that was really the first time I remember like. I mean, I was sort of into them before, like I was, you know, like I, I loved the G.I. Joe cartoon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago. So like when I would go to uh, the train station to go to school, they had a magazine rack that was full of comics. And, and oh, of course, okay. they, they had G.I. Joe comics by Marvel. So that was like those were the first comics I bought. But that was, you know, mostly because I was super into the cartoon and the toys. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's funny, like it, it's. It is very smart. Like, and I mean, my first, you know, they all kind of came in at the same time, like the X-Men, the Avengers and the Micronauts all kind of came in at the same time around the late seventies for me, but the Micronauts were a toy line. So right. like, it was this sort of part and parcel thing of like, and, and so were the superheroes in any respect, because I think I had, you know, a Spider-Man you know, Mego figure long before I had a Spider-Man comic, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. I don't but it, 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 but those things were like, so it was an easy sell. Like, wait, there's more than just this thing that I can run around the house with. I can read. Right. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I remember as a little kid, I had one of those, uh, those Spider-Man comics that came with a record mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they would like, it was like, you know, when you hear the ding, turn the page. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so yeah, like uh, comics were always like around, but I, it wasn't until this kid, brought his backpack of comics to camp that like I started reading through them. And then when I went back to grade school, it turned out there was a comic shop, like a block and a half. Well, I was my... and like, like if you grew up in a city, you like, you have a sort of a, a superpower built in, like if you're into comic books, cause there's gotta be a comic shop. Yeah, no. And that was, that was my to totally my gateway. Like I took, you know, I used to use my allowance money uh, to go to a video game arcade and just like, well, here's all my allowance money, and like I'm gonna stay here for four hours playing. I'm like, like, like that was that seemed like the perfect use. But once I got into comics, I was like, okay, well, I'm just moving all my money over to comics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I set up a pull list, and like, um, yeah, I just dove right in. Um, and you know, yeah, it wasn't a, there was like one person who was a friend of my. <clears throat> um, he was a friend of my mom's and I remember one night uh, while I was at uh, some house with her and her friends and they were all getting drunk, but he like sat with me in the kitchen and like walked me through the X-Men timeline in the comics. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, like explaining like, and then the brood showed up and the brood were these aliens. And, like literally he had like a, like a photographic memory of like everything that happened oh, in God. the X-Men comics. So I, I count that as a very big moment for me because, like, I realized, like, oh, there's, like, a, a huge, like, overarching story. You know, it's been going on for, for years and years. And, like, um, yeah, it was just that, that combination of stuff uh, just, like, sunk its hooks into me. Oh, that's that's totally cool. And it's funny, <laughs> it's like, it, I mean, it's almost like with many so many things that, like, if, you know, you you wrote a story and, you know, a teacher was like, oh, this is really good. Well, now you've got that external gratification and support. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm not as afraid to do it the next time. And I'll do, you know, and and it, and it kind of continues. 
Yeah. But it's also like, you know, it's also like having like an older cousin or sibling who is like, hey, man, listen to this album. It's really good. Yeah. And it's the, you got that you got this guy who walked you through the the X-Men universe with like so you're like he armed you with this sort of like lore, you know, like a young warrior heading off into the. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that's that's totally that's incredible. So so I mean, so you you you're landing in in portland you know with you know digging in roots and there's you know a couple comic you know companies there and there's a growing list of comic book creators in that town like yeah. what was your like had you already been engaging with the comic industry at conventions or online like with people uh online yeah um i had like for years belonged to um the the uh warren ellis used to have this thing called the warren ellis forum Okay. Which was this like message board. Um, and like I got into that. And that's like, I mean, everybody, you know, uh, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sudaconic, Kieran Gillen, Sam Humphreys, like the list goes on and on of like mm -hmm. people who are now uh, professional comic book writers were all there, but we were all just like dorks who liked comics. Sure. Um, and, but, you know, it was like hanging out there is where, you know, I, I accidentally did a shitload of networking. Um, and it was just like, so when I decided to actually try to break into comics, I, I already had this network established of like people that I was cool with who were now like breaking into the industry and like. Right. Um, you were so left yeah, alone. It was a total accident. Like, you know, at that point. You know, I, I had no aspirations of getting in the comic or, you know, writing. I just loved reading comics and talking about them. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was, and it was just like, oh, cool. Like, here's a group of people who uh, are equally nerdy. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was just like fortuitous that because then I didn't have to go around and meet all these people for the first yeah. time. I'd already done it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's interesting. It's also interesting that you chose to say, like, hey, I'm going to go move. Portland because there's comic book companies there but like the industry sort of had veered away from that sort of face-to-face -face, you know like you know business where like you know mm -hmm. when I broke in in the early in the beginning of the 90s you know I was in New York City and that's where Marvel and DC were so you would call them and you would set up a time and you went in and talked to an editor an assistant yeah. editor let's be honest sure sure and, uh, and you know you you would do that kind of thing because they would let you in the door they would talk to you they would take the time mm -hmm. like that doesn't happen anymore like you cannot you can't call up and get into the doors at marvel or dc anymore so yeah like what was your like what was your self like self-talk and plan to say like okay i'm going to go to portland and get an apartment and like ellipses like what happens in your mind uh i that's about as far as i got really okay so um, you had a real really concrete attack <laughs> oh yeah no i i you know i it was a lot you know 50 percent of my move was panic the other 50 mm -hmm. percent was like pie in the sky idealism um mm -hmm. i just wanted to get out of the midwest like yep. i didn't want to have you know uh summers where i wanted to die and then winters where i wanted to die I was like, I wonder what it's like to live in like somewhere where it's not like, you know, where half the year isn't like this extreme hellhole. So um I, I I totally, totally hear you, man. I hear that. Yeah. 
so yeah, like I, you know, I didn't really have a plan. I just, you know, it was like, I was at the end of my rope, uh, like, and I felt like there wasn't much to be gained by staying in Kansas city. I wasn't going to move back to Chicago. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll just go West and like, yeah, but I, I, I knew a bunch of people here. So like, you know, um, Matt and Kelly Sue, I've been friends with them for, I mean, Matt and I met when we were in college. So like okay. we've been friends forever and, uh, they moved out to Portland and it basically made me an offer of like, Hey, if you ever, you know, like if you want to like move here, like we've got a spare bedroom and you can crash in it while you try to find a place. And I was like, bingo. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's the one, you know, I just needed a foothold yeah. in order to establish myself. And they gave me that. So amazing. So I was like, screw it. Like, you know, worse that happens is like, I get there, the comics thing doesn't happen. Uh, I have to get some job that I hate, but at least like it's a job that I hate in a brand new city right. um, that, you know, uh, fingers crossed isn't as miserable as Kansas city is, you know, half of the year. What if you had actually found out that you were part witch and all that rain would melt you? That would have been horrible. Uh, yeah. But like, if I was part witch, I'd be, I don't know, much further along. I mean, um, Kansas, which I'm just drawing, I'm drawing <clears throat> lines here. I mean, seeing if it might be, you know, but you're not from Kansas. So I guess it doesn't count. Yeah. But I would have had powers. So I would have like already like, I, I, like I said, I'd be much further we're along. We're spitballing and... our next Kickstarter comic, the two of us. Yes. Or, you know, someone who is born part witch, doesn't know it, moves to a, a land of a, of a high rain and uh, discovers that they're a witch that way. I think this is, I think our, our Stephen King premise is set. Finally. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, listen, we, we do go, I mean, we do live in sort of grow with the people that we, you know, spend our life with, you know? And so like having friends, you know, having friends like, you know, Matt and Kelly Sue to say, Hey, come and crash on the couch. Like I've done, I've done that for bunch of my friends because i'm not gonna like if they're like looking to improve their life why would i not you right. know give them every opportunity to do it um just you, you know just just as long as you know you're not living here forever right uh, right yeah no that that's that's so cool so how did you like so how did you start engaging into like the industry as someone saying hey i want to be a writer and what were your what were your disco moves um well i mean basically as soon as i got to portland um one of my main clients that i still have left on the graphic design side was like hey we're moving everything in-house so we're not going to need you anymore yeah, so that. like a big source of what i counted on in my income was starting to go away yeah. so uh so i basically i knew people at oni press like James Lucas Jones. Um, and I basically, I reached out. I was like, is there any like production work or anything that you need done? And he was like, mm -hmm. do you know, do you know how to flat comics? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. But um, yes. <laughs> but I was like, but I will learn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he like sent me a bunch of pages and then uh, Tony Moore uh, was nice enough to like get on the phone with me and explain flatting to me and like, sort of what I should be doing, yeah. um, which Tony Moore does not like, 
uh, have to do that for any, like, I, I still remain shocked that he like <clears throat> did that for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so then I just started flatting comics. Um, and so I sort of had a little foot in the door with the Oni that way. And I started, I started writing pitches and sending them to, to Oni. Um, and like one of the, like the first one I ever wrote, they were like, we like it, but also like you want to do 12 issues and no one's ever heard of you. So no, uh, right. totally understandable. But like we did some back and forth and then they actually, they brought me an idea. They're like, Hey, we have this like, you know, three line idea. Can you turn this into a comic? And I was like, I could certainly try. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, that was like my foot in. And then I was co-writing with a buddy of mine who had put out a, a comic, uh, an image called Screamland. Okay. Um, and I was like, why don't we just like team up? Because uh, I had an idea for a Screamland sequel. So, you know, we had been talking about that and then talking about doing other stuff. So, uh, yeah, in the same week, like Oni uh, greenlit the idea they had sent me that I had written up a pitch for. And then the sequel to Screamland got greenlit at Image. Um, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's actually pretty amazing that both of those things. Oh, yeah landed at the same time it's nuts yeah yeah and like and so the screenland thing was was that the first thing that you were doing in in comics is that like a that was yeah my first published thing okay. in comics so, so that, and it, it, yeah and i think it's a, it's an interesting thing because often our early works like generate self-generated early works we do often I've, I've noticed like do those in concert with somebody else because it, it sort of does make it a lot easier yeah. to, to engage into the unknown when there's someone to, you know, you can get on the phone with and go like, okay, what the f do we do here? Like, like right. And he had already been through the whole process of like getting a comic greenlit and like mm -hmm. having it published. So, um, so I figured like, I was like, can you just like help me out and I'll help you out. Like it was mutually yeah. beneficial. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, that was one of the things was like having done all this sort of accidentally done all this networking beforehand, it all started to pay off when I got here and like really Huge. focused on, on getting into comics. Huge. So what, how did you, I mean, since the, since the, the only thing was your, sir, your first by you kind of thing, even though they gave you the sort of the, here, here's the, here's the elevator pitch. And then you had to like turn it into something like, what was your, what was your, cause I'd like to find out like what, what your process was when with that, versus what your process is now um, as someone who is kind of figuring it out at that point? Um, I mean, it's not, not terribly different, you know, it's just like sitting down <clears throat> and making a buttload of notes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, literally like every idea I had about it. And then once you write the notes, I would go through and like figure out like what works for this, what doesn't trim it down. Like, <clears throat> it's just like, shaping and reshaping um yeah. <clears throat> what i imagine like being a sculptor is like is like you have to like you know you get the general form vaguest form of it yeah. and then you just start finessing and you start until like yeah. the thing starts coming out of it and that's still largely what i do i do it now like with uh paper and pen and like composition notebooks and you know like my process is a lot more sort of ingrained back then i was just like well, I don't know. This seems like a good way to work. Sure. Um, yeah. 
we call, sometimes we call those uh, training scars. You know, you like you just you find a process and you just kind of like you muscle your way through it and just keep on going. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. been yeah most of my my creative life is like like I don't know how to do this, but I'm gonna like uh, you know I, I will bash my head against it until either you know the thing gives way or my head does. And yeah, so far I, my head stayed intact. Yeah, and if you have if you have enough like I think if you have enough grit, you know, coupled with you know, hopefully. A modicum of talent you know those two things can get you you know through whatever you need to get through when it comes to you know these endeavors yeah for sure yeah so how what what was like so what was your sense of feedback early on with the with the early work <clears throat> like did you like did you get landed the other work come in before you even had a chance to kind of like process it or what uh no so like you know we did screamland it was called Screamland Death of the Party. Um, and that, like, so we did five issues of that. And then a trade came out. And then then I couldn't get work. Like, yeah. you know, it was like I would go to cons and, like, give the trade to editors who I met or who, like, friends of mine introduced me to. And But, you know, it's a comic that opens. The, the first couple pages of it are, like, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, diving into a swimming pool full of cocaine um, and like cracking his head and dying. Um, okay. And it's a book that revolves around a bunch of like the werewolf and uh, uh, basically like Scotty from Star Trek trying to track down a, uh, a porn tape that was, or a porn movie that was shot with all these monsters back in the seventies. Like mm -hmm. it's not a book that like any editor would go like, well, this guy's perfect for XYZ. Right. It's just a freak book. Like, so, so yeah, like nothing really, <clears throat> like things were quiet for a while. And then um, the writing partnership broke up. And I um, basically, I started doing this. I, I met with Chris Robertson um, when he moved to town. And he was starting up this this digital only imprint called Monkey Brain Comics on Comicsology, okay. um, <clears throat> and he asked me. He was like, "You know, do you want to like pitch us a book?" Uh, and he's like, "Pitch us the thing you most want to do." And the the pitch I had that I was most excited about was this thing called High Crimes, which was about like an action thriller set while climbing Mount Everest. Um, oh, okay. I I'd been obsessed with Mount Everest for a couple of years by then, so. Um, they approved it, and then I, uh, purest of luck, found Ibrahim Mustafa to be my co-creator on it, and uh, you know we just made it on our own um, and put it out there, and that was really so. You know, like Screamland came out in like 2011, uh, and then uh, <clears throat> High Crimes came out like right in the beginning of 2013. Okay, and. But it was that was the thing that really broke me out of nice. like, um, so yeah, it was like being in the wilderness. It was like you know, I got the the huge rush of like, hey, I, I did it. I, I made a book. The book came out. Um, like I am a, I'm published. Like, but I, it's like okay, now I have to figure out how to keep it going. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, high crimes was really you know two years later. That was the first time I really sort of. Um, I don't know. That feels more to me like the real start of my my comics career. Like, Screamland was like me learning 
here's everything that can go wrong in comics. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, here's all the highs and the lows packed into one book. It was, it was honestly the best training wheels I could have had because like any sane person at the end of that would have been like, I don't want to do comics anymore at all. This sucks. Um, But I was like, this is awesome. I want to make more. So did you, so like, I mean, were you like talking to your, you know, your friends and peers at the time to kind of like garner as much sort of like developmental, like info and feedback? Cause like, it's super hard when you're doing the work to also be kind of like, sort of let in the objectivity of the of the of the moments kind of happen like were you open right. to that? uh yeah uh there wasn't like um i mean I, I i remain open to it but uh i i don't know there's also a weird part of me that like doesn't uh i don't know i'm not very good at asking for help no. um so i'm i'm much more prone to just like i will like figure it out uh, no matter how long it takes me and how painful it is um definitely like when i was starting out you know i i asked friends of mine who were comics writers like for tips and stuff and like so i got you know the arsenal of stuff that i thought was useful to me but otherwise it was just i was like if i don't figure it out myself then like um like when am I ever gonna learn? I don't know. I'm I'm very stubborn like that. Like it's certainly yeah. not not a road I would endorse for other people. You no, know, I you know I I I mean, I I know lots of lots of friends like that who were you know, like there's this sort of like the, hey listen I got to grind this out myself. You know whether it's a sense of like I won't get satisfaction unless I'm the one who does this or whatever the reasons being. But like the, there's there's that kind of like element of it, and I totally get that. And I, I'm I'm not great. I'm not great at asking for help myself. Like I, I totally get what you're you're saying in that respect, and I don't know whether I probably I would venture to say for me is probably maybe me feeling like oh I need you know like I need help like you know like it's a weakness thing rather than like because honestly it's a strength you know like the people sure. who are, the people who are really good at it like they always kick ass and I'm just like oh god that's so you know and I and I listen to the elegance of their sort of their way of just kind of enrolling for help and you go okay all right i hate you i love you i hate you you know that kind of thing yeah no i mean i wish i you know i wish i had that to some degree but also you know like um i i also i like the fact that like you know i just went on this this trip of like you know i have to learn you know it's like the it's like batman going to learn how to fight like you know when he's totally before he becomes batman like it's just like it's a thing i felt like i had to do now i'm much more uh open to like sending stuff to friends of mine and being yeah. like hey what do you think about this pitch or like you know do you have any thoughts um certainly not like super open but like i'm definitely more open about it than i was at the beginning no i get that like i think the evolutionary process of um what we can do is amplified in in that because like i mean in like in the design world like if you're working in a firm or if you're working in house like you are not working by yourself like you can't work like get an assignment then hide and then return with it so like you have to throw it up on the wall you know and it has to be vetted and it has to be kind of banged around and like so and it's very hard like in in a comic book sense to uh recreate that you know, I mean, you have to really kind of externalize yourself with your peers to say, yeah. okay, hey, listen, I, you know, can we talk every like 
two weeks, you know, and just have that phone call and like exchange some thoughts and ideas and whatever's and then in hopes, you know, of improving one's growth. Yeah. And like, that's the, you know, like the, the writing itself, I don't know. I, I always feel like fairly confident about it. So, yeah. um, I don't know the collaboration I always get more into is like once I've handed it off to my co-creator and they, you know, are starting to thumbnail it, draw mm. it. And like, um, I don't know, that part always excites me more than like, Hey, would you like, nobody wants to read a comic book script. Like they're not, they're not exciting to read. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm very into collaborating. It's just like, a not so much at the beginning stage for more right. the, the middle and end stages it's you know it's interesting because so, so like i've you know you know I've, I've been writing prose for the last four years or so and which was a terrifying experience in its own right but the the growth process of doing the sort of the first book in that vacuum was really, it was really kind of a, was a, there was a lot like, you know, you're in a sort of furnace burning yourself, you know, trying to figure this stuff out. But yeah. then when I got the book in, in, you know, in shape, and then I sent it out, you know, and beta readers read it, then I was getting external feedback. And that was like this real kind of growth period. But now like the work that I'm doing, like it, it's this thing where like, there's the term of you know, beta readers, but there's all the alpha readers. So you have your, you, what you do is you have those very close writers mm. uh, in your in your circle who you're sharing the completely unfinished stuff with because you're you're just getting that i don't know that the geiger counter feedback <laughs> you know I, yeah I, yeah something hot here you know right it's a vibe yeah. check yeah yeah so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting process because it's I, i've i've found it to be really um um liberating in so, in so many ways because you know it's a, it's that that fear of like you wanting it to be good, you know, if, if you could just shed that, you know, and that shit doesn't matter anymore, then you can share whatever, you know, right. and then it's like, it's cool, you know, like, oh yeah. And nobody cares. Like they're just there to like get the thing. Cause you, you would do the same thing. Like I, I don't like, I wouldn't think if you sent me something that was like, not that we're best buddies, but like, if you sent me something and you're like, Hey, check this out. And like, this is an idea. I wouldn't judge it on anything but the idea. Like I would, I would only be looking like, oh, okay. I really love what the direction you're going with this here. I wouldn't be like, dude, that's, you need to put a semicolon here. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't care. You know? Yeah. And I wouldn't know where to put it anyway. Well, yeah, that stuff is much more for, yeah. Further down the, like, that's an editor's job. Yeah, like, I course. certainly wouldn't, uh, yeah. I wouldn't give that to, nor would I, uh, be seeking it so yeah but How everybody's you, different like yeah oh yeah i mean like and like you were saying about the the part like doing doing it all yourself i mean like it's that learning process i mean everybody learns differently like you can't yeah you know even though there, you, even if there are 10 people who like to do it all on their own way like they're all learning differently in that process it's not the same it's not the same you know apples to apples thing um for sure how, what was your like doing pitches because i enjoyed doing pitches now like pitches were weird for me because I, I had the idea, but I was terrified of sitting and writing it. So mm. I'm like, okay, well, here's the artwork idea. And this is my idea. And I would just basically tell like a writer friend, I'm like, sit down and start typing. And they would, they would just transcribe what I was saying. And then they would kind of 
do some writing on top of that. So, mm -hmm. um, but it was a great process because it was it was real fun to kind of put together this idea, you know, and like, and I was not savvy enough to realize how much of a marketing tool it needed to be. I was right. more sort of like, hey, isn't this good? <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, so were you like were you aware of the marketing tool aspect of it or like what was your like when you were doing those early pitches um no uh like even even now i'm bad at the marketing side of like writing pitches like it, uh, you know pitches for me are are just like it's ultimately me telling myself the story of what i want to do um and making it as sort of clear and exciting as I possibly can, but also like, you know, I've gone through a lot of different shifts with pitches. Like I had a, <clears throat> an editor who really sort of cleared my head up about pitches several years ago. Cause I would send him uh, stuff and like, he would always give like short responses, but they were extremely effective. And like the, the most effective one was, uh, this book crowded that I did at image. Um, I remember pitching it to this editor and he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, but I sent him like the bare bones, like idea of like, Hey, there's a world where uh, assassinations are, are crowdfunded and like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, this is a cool idea, but like, why should I care? Uh, and I, I realized like I was, getting so caught up in sort of the novelty of the idea that I uh -huh. lost sight of like who the actual characters are supposed to be and like what the Holy heart of the story is. Holy, this is so, this is so interesting because I was talking with Kevin Cuff, one of the word bros, metal uh -huh. shark bro world fame. And we were talking just yesterday, maybe. Yeah, it was yesterday, I think. And we were, we were kind of talking about this whole, we were talking about pitches and and the whole concept of this, like we were talking about like what comic books were, what comic books are, like how, how they've shifted. And like that whole sort of like what you just said about like the novelty of the idea, the premise, you know, like that's a, I think that's really what comic books in so many ways are about right now. There's this whole sort of like wealth of like digging the premise. We are digging right. this premise so much while like in the eighties, it was, Hey, well, let's deconstruct the the medium, you know, like, you know, Alan Moore and Frank Miller sure, are, sure. and a tearing it apart and putting it back together. Howard Chaikin, you know, and it's an interesting sort of change where we like now, like it's this, it's almost like publishing. <laughs> it's almost like publishing. It's almost like book publishing. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, it's a real big thing about this, this, you know, how, what are these interesting premises? But what you said is it's man it's it's all about the characters if yeah if we don't if we don't if we don't care about that person that we're going on this journey with or people it doesn't matter yeah ultimately yeah that that's a revelation i had to have yeah like, and it changed how i wrote pitches like now i don't you know i used to write pitches it's like imagine the world like, there yeah exactly and now all my so pitches are yeah. like here is uh, so and so, and yeah. here is what they're like, and then here is what happens to them, and you know the, the here's the like cool concept that they stumble into. Sure, and like here's how it changes them. You know, like it, yeah. you know, the, that kind of stuff is yeah. And I think that's like because you know we, we were talking about um, I was talking about that with Kevin, and also talk like Kevin was like I was talking about comp titles, and I, I you know and you know I'm not 
but you know, like I didn't understand his comp titles that he had in, in the thing. And I'm like, I don't know these things. Like I can't refer, I can't make a connection to them. And, and I'm like, either that says like, I'm completely old and out of it, which is a high probability or like I, I, or there's something you know miscommunicated here. And then, and, and I'm saying I'm banking on me being out of it, but I was then having another talk with another writer uh, later. And what we talked about, and I realized I'm like, Oh, listen, the comp title isn't for, it's not for the publisher. It's not mm. for the editor. The comp title that you write is the comp title for the reader because that's who you're, that's who that doc, the document that you're selling, even though you're sending it to a publisher is that they need to know who this is speaking to, who right. is the book speaking to. And that's the big magic. Like that's the big magic target point. So like if you can create that character and create the target market audience for mm. I think for the publisher, they're going to go, oh, okay. Like we know who we can, where this is, you know, going to go and who's buying comics. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Like I think that like there's this revelation in advertising that I didn't know existed, but like ad agencies have clients and they get, and they have to do these, you know, they have the accounts and they do these ads, but there's a, there's, that's not the, the, that's not the whole story. Like you've got to get the accounts. So there are teams, some agencies just have teams that are pitch accounts or pinch pitch teams that they work on the pitches mm -hmm. to make hype, like completely made up stuff. That's actually never really going to be the one thing, but it's the, their, their job is to do this. And it's a really interesting thing. Like you, cause you can become really good at selling something. And not selling something to the customer, or the you know the, the sort of the big audience, but just the people who are making the thing. Yeah. No, there was a um, when I the last job I had when I lived in Chicago was I worked for a market research firm. Um, oh, cool. Where uh, I would recruit people for focus groups, um, and then occasionally, because I was a fast typist, they would uh, bring me in to the uh the room behind the two-way mirror mm -hmm. um to transcribe so i got to see like the the gulf between like you know here's what uh you know this this agency thought was like a really killer idea and then here's like people who they're actually trying to reach with it and what they really think about it like and realizing like there's just like an ocean sometimes mm -hmm. between uh intent and actuality so I think that helped like shape a bit of my brain about about all this stuff. Yeah, I would I would think it'd be a huge advantage having that sort of skill set baked in, where you can kind of, you know, because it's like going back to that premise concept, you know, in the early, in your earlier pitches. Like we we get all excited about this idea, you know. We're all, we're also bloody special, you know, because we've got this idea, um, but it's that it's that sensibility to how do I, how do I transmit this idea effectively? Yeah. So what were like, what do you think the things that like, what, like if you could think of like two or three things, like what were the two or three things that you, that are sort of like, you know, algorithms that you run through your head that make you kind of like tweak stuff? Um, You know, it's all just like, personal really i don't even really you know and this is definitely a, a downfall of me is like i don't really 
I'm not, I'm not trying to write stuff that like this is going to be a smash hit. Like, oh no, no, don't um, never do that. Don't write something that's that's intended to be that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's just I'm I'm just trying to make stuff that I think is cool um, and that I would want to read and yeah. that doesn't feel fake to me, um, no matter how like wild the premise is. Like, uh, and this is. I wish I could eliminate this part of my brain, but like there's a part of my brain that like everything has to make a logical sense, no matter how, you oh, know, yeah. even if I'm doing like a fantasy book where like none of this actually exists, it's like, it still has to make logical sense to me. Uh -huh. Like, so I'm just like, um, I'm just building it for me and yeah. for my co-creators. And if we all think it's cool and we like it, then like my job's accomplished. Like, I, I, you know, and like I figure the people who it's for, they will find it. Like yeah. maybe they won't find it the moment it comes out. It, they might not find it for years, but like it'll be there waiting for them. Um, like I just want to make the thing and put it out in the world. And like if it does well, that's a great bonus. But if it doesn't, like I still made the book I wanted to make. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't really think, you know, like, think about it too much like writing the comp title part is always like my least favorite part because i'm just like like even if you like these two things it certainly doesn't guarantee you're gonna like what i'm doing um yeah i don't know i, I don't think about it very much I, yeah I, just, no, I like, guess i yeah i mean i and i certainly wasn't thinking about in the terms of when you're actually generating your story because like i i my my, my belief is you gotta write the story that's inside of you Mm -hmm. And the story that you want to read, like the story that you want to read is the one that everyone, everyone's going to get the most enjoyment from because right. you're going to put the most into it. But what I'm thinking is like when you have that story, like you need to now be able to say to the people who you're saying, hey, let's get into business. <laughs> and you need to be able to. Kind of, so like I'm thinking that mar that marketing focus group knowledge really does kind of help you or could help you. Possibly. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it does really like, yeah. I just, um, you got a super you know, use it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's just practice. It's just yeah. like, I've written enough pitches at this point that I know like this is an effective pitch and this is not like, yeah. I, I just sort of have a sense about like, okay, this is short and punchy and I've covered everything that like I've answered any questions that they might have before they've even asked them. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, that's the majority of what it feels like is like writing pitches is like you want to like take as many of the variables off the table as possible like you want right. you want to come in as like you want to project the kind of confidence that you have about your book to the publisher yeah and be like listen like you know maybe you know uh this sounds a little bit weird or something but like i have you know 100 percent confidence i know where it's going i know you know, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think ultimately, yeah, a pitch is just about like appearing confident before yeah. whoever you want to give give you that green light. That's I mean, the, the, the thing is like so like there's the sort of metaphor like for um, marketing materials. So the idea is that every marketing material, like let's say a website, it is supposed to instill trust and authority. Like mm. that's that's the idea that you want to convey to the people who are there going onto the website. So in this same document, you are trying to say, hey, you got to trust me because I know what I'm doing here. And that's right. what that, you know, that's what that so that the pitch is kind of comes down to that. 
Um, have you had to have you had? I mean, we've all had pitches that didn't get picked up. Have you taken a pitch that didn't get picked up and rebuilt it at a different time and then pitched it yeah. again to someone else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually I'm working on a book right now with Aftershock that like um, was it was the first pitch I ever came up with in comics. Um, oh, cool. Like the first thing I ever pitched to Oni back in the day. Um, and then there was a time where when Vertigo was still going, I was in talks with Vertigo about it and I had rewritten the pitch for them and, you know, gotten a lot of their <coughs> ideas about like things that should be different. And then that died and then it just sort of sat for a couple of years and then, yeah and then i pulled it out and like reworked it again like you know the core thing was still there it was just like my thinking about it had changed in the years since what, i had last worked what on were it. The, wait two two questions quick one first is it star cats no okay the second question is um what were the things that you like what were the, not specifics but like what was it that you realized that needed to be changed in the in those intervening um i don't i don't even know that like i realized things needed to be changed it was just i was a different person coming back to it you know okay. i i'm certainly not the same person who came up with the pitch uh 10 years ago um yeah. and i'm a different person from the person who pitched it to vertigo like you know it's just your thinking changes about oh, yeah about this stuff you know um as as time progresses so i think it's just like yeah it's just my brain was at a different spot than it was those first two times i went at it and yeah um you know and also like different publishers have different limitations so like i knew with aftershock it was like this is going to be a five issue book and it's going to be 20 pages an issue so like i know my my perimeters of like my constraints um yeah. so i know the ground rules of like what i have to work with and then you just sort of you you rebuild with that in mind um so yeah it's you know uh that's yeah i mean i always thought it was a solid idea so like not a ton about it has changed just like you know characterizations have changed a little bit um and you know uh, yeah just like little things that just reflect like okay well i'm in a different place now and this pitch is like has to be a, i can't just like turn in the same pitch that i i wrote you know right back then so i i have to go through it and just sort of like yeah. and i couldn't even tell you like directly like here's you know here's what i changed it was just like yeah it's just like by dint of like having written several books Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't know. The, the, the whole thing just kind of adds well, up. Dude. There's also the thing of like, it, there's also like, you know, you're a better writer than you were 10 years ago when you when you did it. Yeah. So like, it, it's like looking at like anything, like a, if you're making, if you're working on a painting or if you're writing a poem or whatever and you go away from it and then you come back and you look at it because you, you went away from it because you were struggling at a point. You're like, okay, I just can't do this anymore but then you come back and then like you can see the thing oh oh it just needed this and you can right. kind of grow those it's like the puzzle you know when you when, it, when you're working on the puzzle and someone comes along and goes hey check it out and they you know they stick the piece in there and you just want to break their hand because yeah yeah you've been staring at those pieces for a whole afternoon um so i think like we also can kind of like rebuild things 
when we re-engage with them after a period of time, they become like, oh, like this is not the problem. Like it's not a problem anymore. Like I've already solved it way back in the subconscious. Yeah. And that like, I'm constantly working on like a dozen different things. And yeah. Like, um, you know, like eight to 10 of those things are, are not things that I'm like, they haven't landed with a publisher. It's not something that I'm like full bore on, but it's like, you know, I like to like have the work done on it. So when I come back to it, then I can reassess like, okay, mm -hmm. here's what I was thinking the last time I was working on it. Like, what do I think about all that now? It's no. like you're just writing letters to your future self. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Um, so you, I mean, like you're saying you're working eight to ten things at a, at a time. Like, how do you how do you schedule that in your your writing week? Like, what is your do you have a structure that you kind of like found that works, or you're just like no. whatever no. whatever's there or whatever's hot? Uh, you know, uh, things that are on deadline obviously take full precedence mm -hmm. um but even that's not like a hard and fast rule like um you know sometimes just like you, you get a weird bug and like that thing you haven't touched for eight months like suddenly you you're hot on it and you have like you know um you know you're uh, i'm out walking my dog and suddenly i like have this idea that like oh that's amazing i should like <clears throat> i should totally work on that and then like so it's it's just like a lot of like it's like bumper cars. It's like cool. um, there's no order to like what takes precedence. It's just like whatever manages to wedge itself in front of you, mm -hmm. um, whatever sort of fills up your brain the most and gets it the most excited. Um, and then I yeah like if I'm if I'm stuck on something that's like do sometimes it's good to just like move over to something that nobody knows about or cares about. Mm -hmm. um and being able to like just like just generate on that and figure stuff out that you were stuck on like will unlock everything yeah uh, and, and then you can go back to the thing that like people are actually waiting on and like yeah you've just like sort of oiled oiled your brain and now it opens a bit easier that's a really great piece of you know piece of advice because i think a lot of people like it is scary when the thing doesn't come when you're mm -hmm. you know, you're expecting it to come sure. and one of the great benefits of doing something for a long time is you do develop a process and you do develop sort of these understandings and that understanding of like hey don't try to squeeze this this rag you know some moisture from this rag because it's already dried out like just put it down <laughs> go to something else and it'll yeah. it, it, it'll soak up some more stuff and you'll be able to get what you need from it later yeah, I mean, I think it's all about, you know, uh, and for me as a writer, it's about keeping my hand moving. Like, yeah. if it's not, if it's not, if I'm not writing stuff about the thing that is due next week, then at least it's moving on, like, this other thing that I've been stuck on or, yeah. you know, this thing I haven't thought about in eight months. Like, it's all cumulative. If, like, you know, it, it's, it's all about just, like, kicking the motor over. And then if you can just keep it going. Yeah then you're golden yeah and there's you know, a lot of a lot of sort of newer when people are starting out to write like they're always like you know the biggest you know hurdles like well how do you do it how do you write and i'm like you know my one of my things like well you just gotta you have to sit down you have to sit down you have to put your hands on the keyboard you have to type words like it's okay because like you also have to as we've said before you have to be okay with it sucking 
because yeah. you it's gonna suck just let it suck because you can always fix it or like writing is fixing things and just let it let it let it let let the mistakes fly because you can fix it you can fix a bad script you can't publish an unwritten script yeah yeah and i i think you know a lot of writing for me is ways of tricking myself into yes. like um you know like i i've a couple of years ago i figured out this method where like i could write all the breakdowns of a comic um I would just write it by hand in the notebook that I have dedicated to that book uh, mm -hmm. while I'm like watching a movie that I've seen like, you know, eight times. Okay. Uh, Cause I know the movie well enough that like, I don't have to pay strict attention because yep. I know what's going to happen. Um, but I'm still sort of half watching it and just like, I, it's like, it tricks my brain. It's like, Oh, you're not actually writing. Like you're just, no, you're just making notes. Yeah. You're just like, like this is just a uh, an experiment. Like so, right. it's a lot of the time is yeah for yeah. me trying to trick my brain into just doing the thing, and then yeah, once it's done, then it's like okay, now I can like repair all the stuff that sucks in it. But uh, but yeah, I mean I I don't know. Um, I'm constantly, but my brain always figures out my tricks, and then it's like a oh, great now I got to figure out some new yeah, way to have it. That's, I mean, this is, this is the problem of the, of the ever rewiring gray matter. It, it is, it is super, super good at like beating out our stupid plans. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause it, it, it just wants to do the nothing. <laughs> Come on brain. Let's play along. Let's do the thing. We, we, we keep saying that we want to do, let's go do that. Yeah. So like, so you like, what, like, what is your, what is your like daily writing regimen like? um uh like days and well afternoons is uh a lot about like i don't know the majority of my writing doesn't happen until evening okay um just because i'm that's just sort of how i'm wired i work better at night okay. um so daytime is like a lot of admin stuff and uh a lot of like I still write during the day, but it's all just like very tentative, like um, outlines and notes mm -hmm. and like, um, but I try not to like worry too much about what happens during the day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like once the sun starts going down, then I, then I sort of get into work mode and then it's just like, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have a stack of notebooks of like here, like, the five things that I'm like most interested in working on right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's, it's basically down to like what's most pressing uh, both in terms of like due dates or what's most pressing in terms of uh, my thinking about it. Like yeah. what's the thing that's got me the most excited. Um, and I just like, I, I do a lot of writing by hand. Yeah. Um, which is a nice way to sort of free, I mean, that's the way I sort of trick my brain because it's like, oh, you're not typing. So this isn't official. Right. Like, you're just making notes. Um, well, it's also the it's there, there's the kinesthetic quality of that. Like, I mean, like there's what is the the artist way, you know, that that book, mm -hmm. the artist way and a discussion of, you know, doing the, the morning pages where you write three long hand handwritten long pages out. And and it doesn't matter. Who cares? Right. Never read it. Just move on. There's there is something to be said about like that physical action where your body is 
doing what a body does. It's moving, it's making something, it's, you know, and I think there, I think that's probably a really healthy thing. And the other thing you said that I think kind of might be really beneficial thought is that you said that, you know, doing all the admin work, you know, you're answering the emails that are coming in from, you know, from wherever that need to be answered. But like at 6 p.m. West Coast time, those emails aren't coming in anymore. Yeah, like yeah. The day's done. Yeah. So like you can't like, so like for me, like if I, I, I typically write like from nine to one o'clock and then I, I do the client work after that. But like if I make the mistake of opening my email and there's a client email in, in that, in the intervening hours, all I can think about is managing whatever that issue is with the client. Right. Versus saying, just keep on writing, just keep enjoying the the thing that you're really here to do. Yeah. So like, I think that there's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting structure that you've built out there to kind of protect that sort of space of time to write. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it started out of necessity um, just because for a long time, like evenings were the only, you know, I would do flatting work all day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, at, at when nighttime hit, I would go to this all night coffee shop and cool. I would just uh, plug Like they had uh, outside seating with like heaters and yeah. ashtrays and an outlets. So I had everything I needed. I had a power source. Um, I had heat when it got cold and I could smoke. And so I would just like plant myself there for and several hours. Coffee if you like coffee. I do like coffee. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it was kind of the perfect place. Um, and I think eternally I'm trying to get back to that sort of a platonic ideal of writing for me. Dude, of like, Chris, I had, so the, when the, when the pandemic hit, um, I just, it, it, I, I think for about a year or so before I was working at home, but I was doing a lot of, I, my client work kept me kind of flying to New York or wherever in the country and doing work on, on locations. And the pandemic hits and I had, but I had been writing all along. I've like been working on my, on my, on my draft pandemic hits. I'm not going anywhere. No one's saying we need you for anything. You're, right. you know, you're, you're grounded. So, and you know, my wife was home. I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, like, and I'm like, I need to write. And I could, I really hadn't built a practice of writing at home at the time. So I ended up going to our storage unit and sitting at the entry of the storage unit is this, old golden velveteen armchair that I bought at in Atlanta at a goodwill because my dog, I, my dog kept climbing up in a different chair. I'm like, I'm going to get you a chair that you can just sleep, you know, sleep in. So I got this thing we called the golden throne and it's been sitting in there. So I, I would go there run the extension cord to the, the plug down like four, three or four units down and I would plug the laptop in and I would sit there and I would write with my truck parked right in front of me. And, you know, no one could really see me. They would just drive by and, you know, they right. would just see an open unit. And I would sit there for like three or four hours a day writing. And it was kind of really great. Yeah. Like there was no distraction. There's no internet. Like it was just straight up you and a machine that put the words down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I know people who you know write in their cars. Like, yeah, just, I've like, done it. I've done it. Like, 
that like that's their process it's like they'll go for a drive park and then they'll just start writing in their car like it's about just finding yeah whatever sort of space yeah right. that sort of hemingway thing of like a clean well-lighted space um, right. whatever that means to you and it doesn't have to be clean and it doesn't have to be well lit but it's got to have you know the the same sort of energy to it yeah totally now it's it, i think it's but i think that's really that's really cool that you're i mean and, and it's funny and i think i'm in so many ways i am always trying to get back to that storage and even though i could go over there but the sure. point is I'm, I'm trying to get back to that storage space in here you know not, yeah yeah you want to bring the energy with you but it's yeah. hard but you yeah. know you you figure out a way no no totally so are you squeaking are you squeaking any pros out like i mean you were saying you wrote pros all the time you now you're doing comics like I know how hard like the pull of one to the other is like, mm. do you still get pros out? Um, I've actually, I've been focusing more on it uh, lately. So I'm working on uh, putting together like a book of short stories. Oh, cool, man. Um, I have a novel that I'm still sort of doing research on that I want to write. I don't mm. know. Maybe it'll be a novella. I don't know how long. There's still a lot of stuff I'm figuring out about it, but like, but yeah, I'm trying to get back into because that used to be all I wrote, and like sure. uh, comics can spoil you because you know it's like all you have to do is you know you have to write a you know a twenty to twenty two page script, yep, and like you're done. And I mean that's the thing I love about comics is like you don't have to like write the whole thing then and there and then hand it in like. Yeah you just have to write this chunk of it and then it goes mm -hmm. out to the world while you're still finishing the book like chapter at a time and it's actually easier to write 22 pages of comic but i mean not that it's easy i'm saying but it is it is less work because it's less words than 22 pages of prose i mean it is oh you know, for sure yeah you know? <laughs> uh so yeah it's been harder like um sort of getting my brain back to like all right now i have this huge wall of text yeah um, yeah. And like, and like the other thing about comics, it's like there are hard and fast rules. Well, with publishers, it's like, you know, like we only publish twenty-two page comics. So, right. like, write more if you want, but you're only getting twenty-two pages. Like, with, with pros, it's like you can just go and go and go. Like, you can so, go and you can go. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to like, yeah, institute some sort of limits uh, where I don't, because I mean that's the thing that like held me up when I. You know, I wrote two novels, but like they're both long, like excessively long, right. and it's just, it's just too much. So I'm trying to bring that kind of energy of like the short stories just are like cool. Well, like yeah. I know I know beginning, middle, and end. I know it's not going to be a huge. So I'm building back up to like where I can I write another novel. I think it, they're 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 good parallels you know short story and comic books i mean you're in this sort of very contained tale like mm -hmm. i mean not not talking you know fantastic four or x-men or you know batman where it is in perpetuity but like there's this thing like okay well I, the story is going to start here and it's going to end here and that's it like a novel is you know like i mean dude my book got up to 200 like two hundred thousand words at one point and then i'm like i know this isn't going to get published at that length right um, regardless of the quality of it so like you know, I had to do the hard work to get it back down, you know, and it was just like, okay, you know, 65,000 words are going to go away. And yeah, that's what you do. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing. What do you like? Um, gonna add, like, do you use specific uh, writing software? Uh, yeah, I use Scrivener. 
Same here. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I've been using it since, uh, I mean, pretty much since it came out. Um, like I spent years trying to find, like, I've used all, like, uh, I could, I could like fill up a sheet of paper with like all the different, like, here's a brand new way to write stuff like yeah, software sure. and like, yeah. um, like for a long time I was using this thing called Jer, like Jer short for Jerry. Okay. Uh, Jer's novel writer, which was okay. just like this dude made it. Um, <laughs> and he was like, well, this worked for me to write stuff. Um, and I was like, cool, this works for me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, that it's it's not like official, you know, you downloaded it off his website and he's certainly not like updating it for right. you know, new, new operating systems. But like <laughs> uh, Scrivener was like the first one that like, it's like, okay, cool. Like this can do everything and that more. I would ever possibly need yep. it to, but like it, not in a distracting way. Like, yeah. Uh, like I, it also like I can narrow focus and just do use the tools that I want. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's the style sheets, baby. You know, you can do all this. You got all the style sheets. You can do all the fun stuff that you could do in InDesign. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it works for me. Like I, I probably use you know like seven percent of what it's just like Photoshop. Of, but... I call I call it the Photoshop of 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 writing because it's yeah, like you can do the same thing like three or four different ways. And you're not going to use like but like five percent of that of that program so have yeah. fun yeah that's crazy so let's talk kickstarter man so right. hit 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 me like what it, <laughs> let tell tell the people listening what what it is because you've graciously uh let me read the first two uh issues and totally digging them um, thanks yeah um it's a book called Falbred. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a crime story about bees. Um, so it's been, it's four different stories, but it's all centered around, uh, this, uh, guy who steals a bunch of beehives, um, and the beekeeper that he steals them from, uh, basically goes on this sort like of a wrong beekeeper to steal from is my book. Yeah. She goes on a rampage, like trying to get her bees back and she's the, like, queen. She's the queen bee. That's yes, the thing. The, the killer queen yes um but it, you know the the bee thief is working for this rural crime family um who who are uh, who use their like psychopathic grandkids to <laughs> sort of maintain their control over things <clears throat> and then there's a, a pair of like agricultural task force cops who are basically like um like babysitters for real cops out in the yeah out in the sticks um and yeah, it's it's this. Uh, so this, the the theft of these hives basically brings all these four different worlds together. Mm -hmm. So it's like a it's a crime book, it's an action book, it's a <clears throat> slow burn character study. Like it's yeah, I don't there's know. A, it's a weird book. A, you got a you got a mystery baked in there as well. So like it's a it's kind <coughs> of cool. there's a, there's some good stuff. There's some really good things. I was really I really did enjoy how you are weaving the four storylines together like it's you know it, it, it you're just you're unrolling these things and then like you you're picking up these threads and you're bringing them you're like oh and they can just each time they come in you can see how they get closer and closer and the weave in the story so it's it's really kind of it's it's handled well thanks yeah it's my first time doing something like that like this complicated but it's been uh, weirdly easy for me 
Um, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think just because I'm, you know, I've been thinking about this book for the last like five years. So I've what had time. The, what was the, what was the thing? Can you remember the things that kind of kick, kicked you off? Because I remember seeing. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. But tell me what it was. Uh, well, there was a, uh, in maybe it was 2017, um, it, uh, in Northern California, this guy got busted uh, with all these stolen beehives. Okay. Um, but the thing that really locked me in was like in the story, it was just like a story I saw, you know, maybe somebody posted it on Twitter or I saw it, you know, on some random website. But like the thing that sucked me in was they had talked to one of the cops who described uh, this dude's uh, empty lot full of bees as a chop shop of stolen bees. Cool. Cool I like, line. I was like, God, that's such a good phrase. And it is. like instantly I just like, I don't know. I really love stories about like sort of worlds within worlds. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my first book, my first real book, High Crimes, is about, you know, mountain climbers and like that's right. a world unto itself. Everest is a world. Like, so these places that sort of have their own language yeah. um, and their own procedures that like if you're in the world, it all makes complete sense. And if you're mm -hmm. standing outside of the world, it's like, I don't know why. What, why are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like what they call terms of art. Yeah. They're like, you know, if you're if you're part of it, then like all that stuff makes sense. So so yeah, like beekeeping was like I've never, you know, I hate bees. I've grown <laughs> to love them now, but like, you know, um I was never a fan of bees, but like Right. But yeah, it's just a, I don't know, like so the theft thing is what really got me in, you know, that turn of phrase, but then like the deeper I dug, it was just like you know, I didn't know that people made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars renting out beehives. Right. Know? Yeah. Like, I didn't know that people made millions of dollars stealing those beehives. And like, so, yeah, it was just like a whole world that I didn't know about. And I wanted to know more about. And yeah. That's really, uh, really what sucked me in. There, I think there, there have been one or two articles in National Geographic in the last maybe five-ish years about, about the, you know, the sort of the beehive circuit and then i remember watching a some documentary on the, on on those people as well and it, it is it's fascinating it really is an interesting interesting world and you you kind of go like oh is this the right thing for us to do <laughs> like you right. do, it's a whole it's a big question mark um but it's it's so cool and the other thing was that it was interesting because you have you have this crime family but like i don't know and i don't remember the name of the movie but there was a movie in the 80s about this about the basically the marijuana growing trade in Northern California. Oh, quiet cool. Quiet cool. Yes. That about kid. killer the killer pot farmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, oh, like these are the people from Quiet Cool who just like kind of are out of business now. So yeah, there's yeah. actually like I, I had forgotten about Quiet Cool until you brought it up. But um there's a documentary on Netflix called Murder Mountain. Okay. Uh, that's all about um like the big pot growing mountain. Um, and basically how all these you know, sort of like crime groups set up there and like people have disappeared, you know, like people will get hired to come in and like harvest the weed and then like, yeah, people would screw around and then you'd never see them again. Um, oh. I'll so I'll track it down. I'll track it down. Yeah. It was, it was an enjoyable watch. So yeah, it's just like all these different things that interest me. Um, I mean, Tell I it. found, I found stuff that like, I couldn't even use in the book that like could be their own book. Like I found out about this whole ring of like uh, 
um, Asian people who would come over and steal these plants from California. And they would like, I can't remember what the plants were, but they would basically, they were like full grown and they would like, they dig up like a dozen of them and then take them back to a hotel room and like pack them up huh. um, and then ship them back home where they could, you know, uh, charge hundreds of dollars for them. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. I'm just really interested in like people stealing stuff that like no one it's, else would think of stealing. So like, cause you said something that was an interesting thing is it's, I think it's an intersection. So like you, like, that world. So you discuss the world, whether the world is, you know, is mountain climbing or uh, bee, you know, bee farming or farming in that respect, or the apiary business. But like the idea of that has its own fascination. But then when you intersect that <clears throat> with crime, well, then you like the motivations are so different. Yeah. And you go, okay, like, you know, because like, why do we watch Scorsese films? Well, we want to watch and see why a person wakes up in the morning and chooses to do bad you know like you know for for a lack of a better term mm -hmm. like that's so like so if you can intersect that with this interesting subject it becomes it becomes a rich environment you know so like i get i totally get that sort of that double fascination that you have with what's what's going on um so what are the dates kickstarter dates but so um like, i'll put all this are, you do uh, like people will find it yeah well we kicked off uh last week yeah. Um, so week one is down. Um, we're almost at fifty percent funded. So we've Good. got three more weeks to go. Then you've got um, the then you've got the trench. <coughs> the what? The trench, baby. That middle that middle chunk. Oh yeah. No, we're we're I'm right in the trench right now. Yeah. But worst. I've done enough Kickstarters now that like I I know to expect it, and yep. I try to like not beat myself up. Yeah. Um, I get a little bit better with each new Kickstarter I do. So good for you. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's a solid team. You know, Claire Rowe is uh, the artist on it, and cool. we worked together on a book called Welcome Back for Boom several years ago. Um, and I've been wanting to work with her ever since. So we we managed to. We were actually we had been planning on making a book all about uh, a pandemic that kills like millions of people uh and then and then a real pandemic came and i was like oh maybe we shouldn't do this yeah. um so luckily i had Falbrood waiting um but yeah the the whole team is great um you know and we're just looking for the money i mean i've already paid mostly everybody out of my own pocket so this is basically money to recoup pay, recoup and like pay for printing and shipping um, and you know, anything extra that we make goes towards the last two issues of the book, which issue five's already done. Um, and Claire is starting draw um, drawing the last issue now. So like, we're going to make the book regardless. Right. Um, I would just like to not go broke. Uh, yeah, no, no. It. we don't know we don't want you to go broke either. Um, so, okay. So so i mean i mean i guess what we're talking beginning of the year for shipping for the stuff uh no i mean like uh i mean i'll i'll get everything shipped out before the year is up oh great um because like the, like i said these these two issues are already done yeah. so um basically once the campaign is done and everyone gets charged then i i'll probably pay out of pocket 
to get the uh, the, the print going. Yeah, and like I've already done. You know, the the campaign we did for the first two issues was like we had four hundred plus backers. Mm -hmm. um, so and I I I shipped every package myself. So yeah. I feel like I I've got a system down now Good. and I can do it pretty efficiently. So yeah, I'm just trying to get better at that because uh, yeah. I want to do. I don't know. Uh, everything's so chaotic in publishing and everywhere that like more and more, I just want to like make my own books that like we retain ownership to and like sure. um, we we get to decide what happens with it. Um, so yeah, you know, I got to you know pick my own editor um, and like uh, all of it, everyone from me down to the editor including the letter and the colors like we all own uh like we all co-own the book That's so right. so everybody has uh, a percentage that they earn from it like regardless so that's what i'm just trying to sort of make a better a tiny little pocket universe where comics is better for everybody yeah i know i think i think that's fantastic I, I i would love yeah i would love that to be a little more of the uh the standard operating procedure i think yeah i think that's it's it's fair you know, I think fair is just the way that we should kind of treat everything in, in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, having come up done, you know, doing stuff like flatting, which like 50% of people who work in comics don't know what flatting is. Right. Like, right. Um, but like, you know, I've also done lettering on books and like, um, yeah, it's it's just like I, 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 so I know what it's like to be sort of the, the unseen part of making a comic and I want to like not do that. Yeah. Well, I think, we, I, I think there's a, there's a higher, higher level of sensitivity um, in the people making comics and the people reading comics now than ever before. Um, For sure. So I think we're, so I think, you know, that, that's, it's a, it may be, an, it may be a bumpy sort of road in that, and that's in this, in the, in the transition, but I think it'll happen. And I think people will end up having a, a better experience. Um, you know, you know, don't go into comics, as you said, the, you know, to, don't write the thing that you think is going to be the big giant hit and don't get into comics to think that it's going to become a giant movie. Like just right. make the stories you want to make and the greatest stuff will rise at the top. Just. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, like you made your book, you made your book. Like, right. yeah. you did your thing. like it's just, it's just the thing because everything is just another step and it's part of your back catalog because when that thing hits, everyone's going to go and look for the thing that they missed. Like right, that. Right that's kind of the magic of it so are there any other is it just the comic book just so people can know like i mean are you handing out <clears throat> stickers um are you handing out twizzlers like uh <laughs> mostly it's just the you know we have print or digital versions um mm -hmm. print we have uh three different variant covers for each issue cool um uh there's like deluxe uh, digital packages where like I'll send you uh, three different PDFs. One is the script, one is just the inks, okay. and one is uh, the colored pages with no lettering on it. Oh, cool. Um, in addition, uh, we have a thing where uh, Claire is doing digital commissions for people. Oh, sweet. Um, there's even, uh, so like I have one where like uh, you can, like I'll, I'll read your script and give you notes on it. Nice. or. Uh, and then, like, the biggest one is, like, I will co-write a script with you. Oh, wow. Um, what is it, what's it going to cost me to get that one? 
that one's 700. Nice. So, yeah. um, which the first time I offered it, it was 500. So I'm, I'm slowly <laughs> coming up just cause I, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but like, I like doing it. It's a ton of work. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I think uh, the commissions are, I like the idea of the commissions. We did those in our, in our Kickstarter and I really, I like the idea of doing it. I like being able to give the artist, you know, here's, here's cash. that's coming straight to you for the thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. So I'm trying to like, it's still pretty like bare bones, like, not bare bones, but well, like, I, mean, I don't know. I, I didn't want to overload it. No. Cause I think it, because I, because listen, those things can also drag down the, the Kickstarter um, either in decision-making on the, on the person who's, who's engaging with it. And it also can drag down your profit margin. And like, it's like, you know, you got to want to make as much money as you can. And it's not a matter of like, Hey, I'm going to get rich. It's just a right. matter of like, I don't want to go get broke doing this. Yeah. No, I mean, like our first one, we went like about two grand, we made two grand more than what we were asking. And mm -hmm. that, I put that money basically towards these two issues. So now for this one, we're asking for two grand less than we did on the first campaign. Cause that already got covered with. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just trying to roll it forward and like, I just want to make the book. That's cool. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, eventually, like, hopefully, like, find a publisher who wants to put out a trade at some point yeah. or something. But yeah, Mike, Mike Oming's doing a great job with his the app. Oh yeah, you know, Mike is just like he keeps it going and he keeps getting it, and then it goes off to Image. Like, he's doing a wonderful job. Yeah, yeah, love, love that guy. So, what else can people find um, of your stuff out there, and what can they expect if you can say what they can expect? um let's see uh i mean i have a pretty big library of a stuff. library yeah um so right now i have a book coming out from oni press called blink which is a uh a found footage horror book basically cool um so it's myself and hayden sherman and nick fullardi uh, uh, my man nick nick lives here in nashville oh yeah yeah okay yeah yeah we're close. um so uh, that's coming out. Like the third issue just came out yesterday. Um, a, another book I did at Oni called Dirtbag Rapture, which is sort of a stoner ghost comedy. Okay. Um, just came out in trade paperback. Um, there's a three volume book called Crowded from Image. Oh, uh, right. That I'm, that's I love I love that concept. So I'm super proud of that one, and then. Uh, <clears throat> coming up next year um they'll be collecting this book i did at comiXology originals called dot self okay. um with uh, myself and cara mcgee uh and then i have a book from vault coming out that hasn't been announced and a book from aftershock that hasn't been announced sweet um and yeah, then, the pitch the aftershock one is the pitch we were talking about yeah yeah. Um, and then uh, other than that, yeah, I'm just trying to finish up some other projects, um, like get some of these short stories done. And then I'm this project that I've been literally wanting to do for the last 20 years. Um, I'm going to try and like Space Cats, Star Cats, Star Cats. No, no, this one is, uh, I don't know what this one is. It's just that it's, uh, when I lived in Chicago, uh, this guy used to put these flyers in free newspaper boxes okay. that he would make at home. Um, and they're all about this conspiracy um, okay. called the ancient order. Oh. Um, and it's full of like 
you know, numerical letter math and stuff. Right. Um, and I have like 70 pages of these. Okay. Um, and it's this whole cosmology that like only existed in this guy's head. Uh-huh. And I, I managed, I got obsessed with it and I started like tracking them down and like collecting as many as I could. So, um, uh-huh. I'm trying to build it into something. It's been a very, uh, weird process so. oh no but it sounds it sounds totally intriguing like if you can if you can hook a plot into that whole thing with a good character like it's oh this is going to be non-fiction like this is oh like, a non-fiction book oh wow oh, oh wow. yeah it'd be like i would be reprinting these flyers with okay. like um i mean there might be a narrative element to it that's one of the okay. things i'm juggling it's 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 like nothing i've ever done before okay. so i love that i love uh, it's it's fascinating my my wife the long jesus i don't know 14 15 years ago came was coming home and she found like in the park um she found this little red like three by four notebook the top spiral one you know like mm-hmm. you know just the facts ma'am kind of thing and she's she came home and it like it was just page after page of these aphorisms, like none that you've ever heard before, but written by this person, you know, like, you know, love your, if you love yourself more, blah, 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 you know, like, and every page had one of these things. So I like immediately like scanned all this stuff, and I'm like, cause I'm just totally obsessed, like with how, like the mindset of people's process, how that they make their way through the world, you yeah. know? because we're all so different and it's just fascinating when people like will go to these really unique you know efforts to do things and i just it's it's beautiful and and horrifying at the same time i love it yeah dude that's great um cool yeah all that info the about the kickstarter i'll put it in the description so people will be able to find you they'll find they'll be able to find you um at your name It's, it's it's just christopher sabella on twitter right uh x top xtop it'll it'll be in the description just yeah look look in the description don't 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 even listen (laughs) read the description and then click like that's that's what we ask yes smash that bell (laughs) whatever smash the whatever just smash something all right christopher thanks so much this is great i really thank you and thanks for sharing because it's a it's it you know it 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 gets the neurons firing. So this is good stuff, man. Yeah. It helps me too. So yeah. Yeah. And, uh, everyone tune in next week. Um, there you go later.